So, um, how how long have you been doing the podcast? It's been about two years, and and to be honest with you, it's not really a podcast. I used to joke, uh, even in the write up, it's it's an it's an act of nepotism, essentially, oh. just to talk to the people I want to talk to, and it's it's like a no frills thing. You know, there isn't even a no frills label. I'm just talking to the people I want to talk to and just shoving it, you know, online on my on my platforms. That's the way I've always done it. It's just, um, I suppose, you know, a brain dive, you know, get somebody on and just rinse them out, completely <laughs> rinse them out for everything they know. And then, you know, I then I know that. I buy all of your knowledge and steal it, essentially. Um, but look, I, you know, I've always wanted to, to get into this subject about British wildlife, especially about the bits and pieces that we find all over the place these days that aren't supposed to be here. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, the, the animal anomalies, I call them. Um, they're uh, quite, quite, uh, it's quite interesting. It's, it's an interest of mine anyway. When, what have you, what have you discovered yourself when you've been out and about? Of course, I, I've seen your footage of the wallabies and that's it that's a great thing because of course that's the last thing on earth any normal british person would be thinking actually lives wild here in certain parts of the countryside right so yeah, th- there's yeah. that how could something like this in your opinion go undiscovered at least as far as public you know public knowledge is concerned for so long uh, I mean, in the wider public knowledge, some of these things, it, I mean, people don't really care, I suppose, unless it's like force fed uh, to them. So TikTok seems to be the sort of sphere where these sorts of things I can th- I can really like ram it down people's throats and they're forced upon it. Whereas um, YouTube and other platforms, they don't sort of they you have to be of an interest to sort of be shown that video. So TikTok's been really good for that and like sort of educating people on what we have uh, in the UK, which is, um, it's been quite good. But I suppose, yeah, wider knowledge, it's people aren't really that into wildlife or they're not that into certain things. Like, and I think the general sort of UK knowledge on wildlife is terrible. It's really, really bad. And I think a lot of people don't know we have snakes in this country. So while Mm. I will go along and sort of tell people we've got wallabies, scorpions, etc uh, etc et um just saying we have a snake people are like hang on what and uh just which i find mental because i thought it was common knowledge we had grass snakes adders and uh the rest of it but uh no it's not common knowledge and it's um it's quite it's quite weird actually in the uk how we just have this really sort of um dulled down knowledge of wildlife because it, it didn't seem like that I, I went to australia last year and it didn't seem like that in Australia. It seemed like everyone was in tune with wildlife. They sort of knew what they knew what things were. I remember actually being out in the south uh, east of uh, Australia in a forest called Sherbrooke, and uh, I was looking for lyrebirds and managed to f- find some. Now, a lyrebird, if you don't know, is a is a it's a mimicry bird. It's it can sort of like oh yes uh, yes take in sounds and sort of play them back mm. and whatever uh, i remember really cool this li- mimicking drills and all that's kinds it, of forest sounds yeah yeah but i remember being out there and uh i i sort of came up i came across three lyrebirds uh scratching around uh, looking for something to eat and as i was uh, stood there filming them uh this school uh was like on a trip or a walk or something i don't know and um, they sort of came close and uh, they were walking past. And I remember saying to the kids, I was like, do you guys do you guys know what this is? Because if that was the UK, 
No one would have a clue. Um, mm. But all all of these kids <laughs> knew what a, a superb lyrebird was, and I was like, oh, like we we don't we don't have that in the UK. We don't seem to know anything. It's not strange though. And do you think this is because we're largely you know a nation of city dwellers, or is it just that? As a, we're a nation in denial of itself, in a way, you know, we we have this perception that all of Britain. I speak to people all the time; they have this perception that all of Britain is built upon, and very few of them realize that hardly any of it's actually built upon. You know, it's just once you get out there, it's just endless. Especially if you're traveling like blackness and hills and fields yeah. and the rest of it on going on and on forever. Um, what, what, just why why don't we know? Do we is it because we don't leave our cities or, um. Is there another reason? Yeah, it could be a bit of that. I mean, uh, I think lockdown was quite interesting because it forced people to go outside and actually like take in some fresh air. Mm. And I think then people started to become a bit interested in wildlife. They would see things and they'd be like, oh my God, what is that? And it's like, well, it's always been there, but you've just never gone to look for it. So it could be a bit of that. And um, I don't know. I just There just seems to be a, like, a disconnect with wildlife in this country. And people just don't seem to care. But yeah, the uh, the urbanisation could be a thing. People not going into the countryside and just having a look around and seeing things, you know. Well, what started you off? I mean, I, you sound like, similarly to me, you sound like you're a city boy. I grew up in the city in South Wales. I live in another city in London. But I've always loved the countryside. But that's something I had to go out and seek for myself. Did you have a, a similar uh, backstory or, or am i completely mistaken are you from the most rural possible place no demand uh no i'm in the middle so i'm a, I'm a suburban i'm from suburban coventry um so I, I i'm born and raised in coventry but the suburbs so it didn't take long for me to be out in the countryside i wasn't like slap bang in the middle of concrete everywhere i was probably one road across and then I, there was fields everywhere so i was quite fortunate for that uh, on the outer suburbs of Coventry. And then uh, I had grandparents that lived out in Leamington Spa. And in, in order to get there, it was like a 10-mile uh, drive, walk, whatever, uh, cycle. And that was through the countryside. So I, I did spend a lot of time in the countryside, and my grandparents did live rurally. So I did spend uh, a lot of my um, childhood, I suppose, uh, in in the garden that backed onto fields. So that was quite that was quite nice, and I got to see things and explore and do all of that sort of stuff so yeah not not totally urban but not totally rural and is that where you encountered first encountered things like slow worms and skinks and snakes and the rest of it yeah i mean i think for, for most wildlife people as you're growing up you sort of you're inquisitive of what's going on around you and like birds fluttering about and lift lifting over like uh uh what are they called cement what's it called uh, a big slab stone slab and uh seeing what's underneath so obviously you've got like wood lice and like millipedes centipedes and all that so you know what i mean it's uh just seeing what crawls out from when you lift things up but uh yeah i suppose i i had the interest but it's only as i've turned into my 20s that wildlife has really taken on a different sort of uh chokehold on my life it's uh it's something I've just I've become I've I've come to love more and more as I've got older, and I think that's a mm. natural process. But um, I think a lot of people will go through that. They will just sort of hit a certain age, and they'll be like, "Oh my god, I love birds!" And um, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> a lot of people go through it. But yeah. yeah, I suppose I had I had more that side, and then I've just sort of developed it into what I'm doing now. I love that. No, I I, I love that uh, phraseology as well. That suddenly coming out 
And I, yeah. Gosh, I, I've realized I've always completely been obsessed with reptiles my whole life. And just yeah. now it's clicked and I got to go and find them basically. Yeah. And, I, and that's, yeah, I think that's, you're right about the lockdown thing. Uh, people are looking for, for, uh, or they were at least looking at that point for, uh, interest and curious things that were happening outside and people like yourself i think were were providing that that um fodder for them during that time especially and i don't know if you if you yourself noticed like um an increase in in your followers during that time or a big increase when people are saying okay you know i'm stuck in the house i'm working from home whatever's happening is happening what's going on in the wider world what else is there to know about i, I think that is at least one positive side effect of that whole you know nonsense that took place and let's talk about um out of place animals things like that that appear now and again that could be pets animals that are visitors from time to time that you know might take people surprise by surprise now i was investigating on a completely separate mission recently on the cryptozoological side of things the owl man uh, story in uh, morning in cornwall and somebody said to me, well, you know, that could be a Eurasian eagle owl. And I thought, well, surely they don't, they, they don't come here. They don't exist in our country, do they? But apparently they do. So do you know anything about, about that visitor to this isle and, uh, and what kind of uh, dimensions it can reach? Yeah. So, I mean, eagle owls are here. They're, they're not, well, they're, they're a native animal that went extinct in this country, I suppose. Um, I can't remember what sort of like time period that happened, but they've they've sort of like naturally flown back over from Europe uh, and found themselves back here. And it, they usually in Norfolk or like Yorkshire, they'll sort of like crop up again. Um, there's a there's a guy who posts a lot of good videos. He's called Robert Fuller, and there, he's spotted one out in Yorkshire wherever he lives or something. He he's the one that like you might have seen the clips actually, like stoats that are bouncing on a trampoline and all that. Um, i think so yes and then like an owl that gets scared of thunder and stuff like that um he's he's that guy but he um he's uh he's definitely seen them in yorkshire and when was it, was it last year no it was the year before last it was 2021 february i was in norfolk myself uh i wanted to go see some chinese water deer and uh, that was a video mm -hmm. i produced for my channel and uh while i was there one of the sort of um i suppose interests while we were there and if it could it could it have actually happened was an, a eurasian eagle owl but not one there was two and uh one of them was residing at a church uh unfortunately the both times we went it wasn't there so it was, it was a bit of a shame but um it was it was sort of uh like a hit and hope for that one but there was a, also another one that was like flying around uh, the football ground in norwich uh carrow road there was one that was spotted quite regularly but yeah they're, they're here um and they're sort of i mean numbers probably less than 50 if i mean 50 oh, actually wow. like uh, that's okay. a big number i didn't mean more i didn't mean that that's like that was a high end uh so i'm probably maybe talking... 50 total but not 50 pairs or uh, less yeah, than that perhaps even... probably half that maybe like 20 wow. at the most yeah there's not a lot but th they are here and um i suppose it's one of those things where uh they're rare it's a bird like they can fly away you know they can hide it's uh it's difficult to spot them, but they are massive. Yeah, they're a, a big thing. I this what was it? This owl man. I don't actually know what what is that. Oh well, this is. I mean, from the cryptozoological side of things, which is my you know, that's been my my uh, private. My wife calls it my big boy's hobby for many many years, right. and that's just got a bit too serious in in recent times. Um, now this was something that that first 
took place in the 1970s um, in a place called uh, Mornin in Cornwall. Yeah. And there's a church there, Old uh, Mornin Church, which is very beautiful. I've been there recently, very beautiful. A lovely neighborhood, but really rural. And these two girls were holidaying in the area that were with their parents, two 12-year-old girls. They saw this you know, four to five a tall bipedal owl-like humanoid descend down from the top of the chapel in front of them and uh there were several sightings afterwards people saw it take off from a branch and were you know just shocked by the size of it and i suppose an eagle owl never occurred to me but really if you'd seen especially at low light you know one of these animals up close oh the massive yeah i mean you and you wouldn't expect to see anything of that size here the you know the the exaggerated dimensions quickly coming to play in all of the details about the humanoid aspect and you know you could get that suppose from the legs as it lifts off and they they extend even you know couldn't you so um you know it's all of those possibilities but yeah i was never aware that they were here so it'd never been um top of my radar i suppose as a as a possible monster imposter candidate at that time Mm. and um and after seeing one in captivity i was you know i was at least convinced it could be a possibility. And there are other things, of course, other big birds that come here time to time, like the, the common crane that I suppose, you know, if you saw one of those walking down a country lane towards you at night, you know, they can they can be huge. I mean, what would you imagine that to be if you saw that coming at you? Yeah, I mean, they are big birds. I've actually, I saw some recently in um, uh, Slimbridge Wetland Centre. They've got some uh, sort of like... Li- cranes living wild there which is quite interesting but they are massive like uh you're talking uh, that's a bird it's like a meat at all same with um same with the storks that have been reintroduced to the country mm-hmm. down in uh sussex they're uh they're massive too like uh i don't think people expect birds standing up to be a meat at all or something like that but <laughs> yeah some of these birds are quite big and when they, especially when they get their wings uh uh fully open they could be two to three meters long it's uh it's a big animal really isn't it and i suppose most people won't see those in their lives uh in their lives so when they actually do see one it's a bit like flipping heck is that no absolutely no and i think it would be the same for me i'm um i, I love being out at the countryside especially at night and sort of listening to all the sounds but again uh, i've never been quite very knowledgeable about the the occasional visitors to the country and i think if i did get surprised by one of these one of these birds in a country lane or something like that you know in a field somewhere it took me a few seconds to key in <laughs> yeah on what i was experiencing and and uh, you know remove the um the horror um but there's there's a lot of other species that have come to live here you know, over the years that have become naturalized, so to speak, exotic species. You mentioned the Chinese water deer, uh, but <clears throat> some of these species were like completely unknown to me. And I had an experience last year in um, in Bushy Park near Richmond, which is yeah, um, yeah which is uh, in London. And I was walking through the park. It's got there's a load of deer in the park, and there's you know the rose ringed parakeets are there, like they are all over London and Surrey. Yeah, I'm quite used to seeing those. I'm like, I do have a funny story about when I first encountered them, and suddenly I see this crow sort of jumping back and going towards this mound near, maybe about twenty feet away from one of the ponds, and something seems to be fighting it. So I approach this the scene. And there's this crab that's about, I don't know, seven, eight inches across, these huge mud-covered claws, and nipping at this crow that's trying to, to kill it, I'm guessing, trying to eat it. And I thought to myself, you're watching 
basically a crab fight a crow in a yeah. park in london this is so london what's going on here really gangster and uh i was just shocked and i looked into it and thought okay you know they've been sort of first recorded here from around about 1935 endemic in you know thames humber medway tyne wharf ouse etc mm. and um that's just an amazing thing to me you know how have these animals come to be here is it just that you know we keep importing them or a, a lot of the things we're seeing the result of you know exotic pet keeping or um as we see with the the mink there were you know the uh fur trades and other things happening food markets yeah so i, I don't know a whole lot about the it's the chinese mitten crab right um, yes, i, I don't know crab, i think they call them yeah. i don't know a whole lot about them i know they're in bushy park but i've never actually gone to look myself and i've never really done the research but having said that that uh to answer the question of like how will these things get here um that one i'm not too sure on but for example recently i went i went to find stick insects in cornwall and that sort of um that was they basically come over on plants and uh, trees and ferns from new zealand so they came over on shipments containing uh-huh. the plants and the trees and then they were placed into the nurseries down into cornwall so um i think uh i actually can't remember the name but it, so like these plant nurseries they they go into there people buy them they end up in their gardens and it's um that's how they've sort of managed to develop and then you've got the scorpions which came over came over best guess from italy uh now those guys like to hide themselves within cracks of like uh concrete and stone and stuff so uh, they came over from masonry ships uh over the last 200 years or so and they can find themselves in the uh the docks uh uh Sheerness on the Isle of Sheppey. Yeah. Um so that's two instances of that sort of thing. And then obviously as you mentioned, you got the fur trade. But th- there's a really interesting thing from uh Whipsnade and Woburn. So th- they're they're the releases of the Chinese water deer and uh, uh. uh wallabies as well. And there's actually a in, in Whipsnade Zoo they've got this uh this sign that like overlooks the, the rolling hills and it sort of mentions about how uh, back in the early 20th century they decided to bring all of these animals in to graze the land so you had the chinese water deer you had the wallabies you had uh mara and was there something mm. else there might have been something else that i can't remember the name of um but those three especially and they just sort of released them out into the into the wild of the the, the surrounding areas of the zoo just just go and graze they sort of they sort of figured out down the line that sheep were probably more useful because obviously you 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 get the wool you can eat them it's uh it's great and so they they sort of stopped doing that but the chinese water deer obviously found their way out east and uh they've like populated quite a lot i think muntjac deer was actually another one and um yeah the wallabies they sort of spread from woburn and whipsnade as well and uh you've got uh i'm not sure about the mara i haven't heard of any mara still knocking about but i know they're inside the zoo uh free roaming but yeah, stuff like that I find really interesting. And then not too far away from there as well is a place called Tring. And um, Walter Rothschild, who uh, I'm sure most people uh, listening would know is um, from that wealthy family. It's sort of like the Rothschilds that own the planet. Uh, and he was uh, quite particularly interested in sort of animals and like fauna and stuff. And there's actually a really interesting zoo. Uh, sorry, not zoo, museum. Yes. In Tring. Uh you, you may have been to it, I'm not too sure, but it's a, it's a great place. It's full of taxiderm animals and uh, lots of like uh, natural history uh, in there. And 
there's a lot about Walter the Rothschild as well. He he loved all of these sort of animals. Like he um he owned a load of zebras and he absolutely loved tortoises, so he owned a load of those. But they all free roamed around his place. And uh, like loads of kangaroos, wallabies, etc. Uh, wow. Loved all of this, and he had a dingo for a pet dog. Um, he's got everything. So like taxiderm, kakapoor, taxiderm, thylacine. There's lots going on there. But one thing that's really interesting for him is he managed to bring over this animal called the glissgliss. Uh, so this is like glissgliss. a yeah. So if I could describe it, it's like a little flying squirrel, little. Yeah, like a little flying squirrel, I guess. Ah, okay. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's called the edible edible dormouse. Uh, mm. So he brought them over, and uh, they, they're now wild, living down in Tring, and I suppose uh, haven't really gone any further than, like, sort of 30 miles circumference of the area. Um, so stuff like that happens a lot, where people just bring stuff in and then just let it go. Uh, so there's a lot of things that, uh, animal wise that have happened in that sort of regard like uh you've had the big cat stuff and uh, yes well no of course i mean that's a big conversation these days especially isn't it the big cat stuff i'll get to that a bit later with the big cats actually because i, I i'm definitely interested in <laughs> in what you think about it um talking about uh, this you know the, the, the rothschild uh collection and the, the also your know, woburn as well and um uh, and other places there seem to be so many animals that, that do escape. I hear about the the um, the Welsh catfish that were also introduced to the lakes in in Woburn Abbey and and um, and some other places around Britain, which, which may have you know populations uh, still. And I, I believe I've seen one in the River Thames, by the way, which is yeah. you know, I thought by the judging by the head was quite sizable, mm. um, which was a strange thing. I would never expected to see one there, and I'm still half in doubt as to whether i did see it or i saw something else i couldn't identify but still there it is um talking about those things it seems quite peculiar that some of these species you know like the chinese water deer and, and others actually become and and as the boar are becoming now as well again quite um the, the dispersal it happens quite quickly it's quite fast gray squirrels for example <clears throat> others like the scorpions like um the scalupian snakes and uh, a few other bits and pieces they they don't seem to really um leave the areas they're in they, they, at least their their movement is that their um, spread is very very slow and steady well, yeah. what do you think the reason is for that um i'm not too sure i mean the chinese water deer for example they they did sort of follow the rivers and head out east and then they they obviously came across the Norfolk Broads, and they were like, "Oh my God, this is heaven!" So they uh yeah. they sort of like extended their sort of range in that way. But I suppose it takes time for certain things. And like if they've got no if they've got nothing chasing them, they've got no predators. Then they, I suppose they haven't got any real need to go out and explore. I suppose one of the big things that's talked about in the UK is rewilding and reintroducing of mm. lynx and wolves. And the reason for that is because the deer. Uh, they don't move so they sort of like decimate an area and then mm. they'll just sort of shift on a little bit and decimate that area and uh the, the talk for reintroduction there is so obviously get lynx and wolves back so the deer keep moving um so i suppose there's a bit of that maybe sort of they, they, they just think well i'm not getting hunted so why would i move uh that could be uh one solid reason i guess that that makes perfect sense. So it's really it's only greater uh, growth in population and numbers that causes the, the the population to to move out. 
as yeah. the because most animals would settle and not uh not be migratory in nature and, and you know especially thinking about that with with relation to the scorpions they've literally been in those two docks in kent right within the yeah. walls there for what is it like 200 years or something however long it's been now yeah and they don't seem to uh, they seem to be pretty steady they don't seem to overdo themselves i hear they're quite a, like a cannibalistic animal anyway um a creature is that right are they cannibalistic uh scorpions maybe i should check that before i say it maybe <laughs> 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 i've just pulled that out well, of the I, ether yeah i mean I, I know they don't eat a lot uh so mm. the, I, th- I suppose one of the reasons they're uh like the stick insects actually like stick insects can live in one bush for their whole life wow. um but that's another thing where they, they they um they don't need a female to bre- like to breed. They can sort of just do it themselves. Oh, so, so they really? can if, if they've got food, they just go. Well, why do I need to move? And then they just stay in the same spot for the, okay. their lives, basically. Okay. So it's a similar process. Are you finding a similar thing happening with the redneck wallabies as well, uh, or would you say that their populations are starting to to expand a little bit? Um. So out of the populations that I know of. Um, so you've got the Isle of Man, you've got uh, Loch Lomond, you've got the Inchconican wallabies there, and then there's that population I found in England, which I, I can't reveal the location. But um, I mean, I haven't studied the English ones all too much. I've seen them twice, hmm. and I mean, they're trending upwards. So the first time I saw them, there was either two or three. The second time I saw them, there were six or seven. So it was a uh, that's obviously trending upwards, but hmm. I didn't, I, I can't confirm the first time if like there were five or six and I just didn't see them. Whereas the, um, the inch Conican ones in Loch Lomans, hmm. they, they, they had been called quite excessively down to what was reported seven. And, um, we, Jacob and I, who's my, uh, I'll call him my cameraman. He'll hate that, but he is. And, uh, he, we went to inch Conican to try and sort of, because they're trying to eradicate them from the island, uh, the landowners, and we went to sort of film them, document them, and see see what was there. When we were there, we sort of guessed there was about ten. So I don't know. It's I don't think they grow as fast as they don't expand or grow as fast as what people think. And hmm. while on the Isle of Man, again, it, like left unchecked, then yeah, okay, maybe maybe they can. But I haven't seen much of it to like cause too much of a, a distress like personally like okay there might be classes invasive i don't think enough has been sort of like looked into it but it's one of them where i think there are bigger problems in this country like uh when you've got a handful of wallabies knocking about i just think well, yeah well that's what i thought because my impression was they're not really they fit you know they fit well with other native uh species and they don't really decimate the the environment like a deer like deer yeah. do for example you know yeah. they're just quite um they're good neighbors they could house guests you yeah. know in in a way and Especially they're on the so islands. cute oh gosh you know why would you want to get rid of such a cute animal you know yeah, it's sure. like no. uh totally it's like everybody they everybody somebody took the cutest aspects of a kangaroo took away all of that aggression and meanness right yeah made them <laughs> and fluffy. stuck it into like a bunny type animal <laughs> you know and um i i like them a lot i really no, do I, I love them um it's probably one of my favorite things to do in this country is to go find them i look i absolutely love it and um I, if Loch loman was closer i'd be making more visits over to that mm. little island and again I, I just think on a little tiny island they can only grow to a certain amount and then what what's going to happen yeah um i just think it's a bit 
I don't know. It's a bit silly, but it's a bit silly to to call them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, gray squirrels are here, and we don't seem to care. And it's like, <laughs> well, unless you go north, of course. Uh, yeah. And you're talking about people not being aware of their environment here in Britain. I was recently uh, filming in Scotland uh, a couple of times, and you know, so happy to see a few red squirrels about yeah. the place. And I mentioned it to a friend, and this I thought they were extinct in Britain. I'm like, well, no, just just in this part. Yeah, you know, up until sort of, I suppose, the top of Cumbria or somewhere like that, isn't it? That's the sort of the borderline, and where they the, the reds are back in, and yeah, they just didn't seem to know. But it was awesome, you know, yeah, really, yeah. really awesome to see them, and um, and uh, yeah, people just accept. I suppose your environment is your environment, which brings me to another question. Actually, what species that is um, invasive species that is becoming, I suppose, a bigger and bigger presence in this country do you think that our children will in the next 20 or 30 years uh view in the same way as we view the canada goose or the gray squirrel as a you know a, just a natural part of uh british fauna um i mean parakeets uh, i know they're mm. like everywhere in london but um i suppose further afield I mean, there's where I live in Leamington Spa. There's not overly that many. There was one mm. in my village, um, but I, I can't really remember or recall seeing many in in the town. But then again, there are peregrine falcons everywhere, so um, they don't want to sort of come close to that. Okay, areas. that's a good that's a good deterrent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leamington's got a uh, there's um uh the town hall. They've got the they've got like a peregrine falcon sort of like nesting area up there. And I think every year they come back and nest and there was four that sort of uh, fledged this year. So you you can imagine that's in the center of Leamington. It's, I think as a parakeet, you want to stay well clear because uh, the pigeons haven't learned it yet, but they probably should have by now. But, and um, parrots are definitely smarter than pigeons, right? Yeah, for sure. And they also stand out a lot more than the pigeons. But mm. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, that's a big old target on, on, on their uh, on their backs there yeah for sure i mean they're noisy and they're colorful it's the uh, it's the worst combination but <laughs> I, su I, I suppose that really is is like as you were saying about gray squirrels or canada, canada goose i think parakeets is probably the one where over the country it would probably become normal because they are up as far as glasgow and i think i hear a lot about them in liverpool and manchester mm. and birmingham so yeah for sure i mean london though you can't walk three meters without hearing words. oh no no absolutely um, i mean yeah. i love it but I, I suppose it's one of those where in london it's just sort of like well this isn't rare is it but again it's like you said it's the it's the like the you're the product of your environment it's what you're used to in london so um uh, people not from london will be like flipping heck well that uh, happened to me it happened to me when i first moved here in 2009 well i moved here for the, the second time i'd lived here nearly noughties for a short time but they weren't present to this number here that i've never seen before yeah. i lived above a very uh flamboyant couple for about three months i didn't know them they're just the guys that live downstairs and in some weird sort of stereotypical way in my head i looked out into their very ornate garden and saw these three parrots eating berries in the tree i thought oh my goodness their parrots have escaped <laughs> and i went downstairs and knocked on their door and said hey quick you know get outside your parrots have escaped and they looked at me like i'd just gone mad i guess in a way and said we don't have any parrots <laughs> and uh yeah you know avoided me for the rest of my tenure there but um strange that was my first introduction there are parrots here in london i, I thought it was just uh yeah 
yeah anyway an introduction i won't forget to these you know cute birds really noisy as hell when i lived in spain every morning you know yeah. they would wake you up at five o'clock in the morning when the sun come up and it would just be like this massive chorus in all of the trees of these birds sort of jammering away um talking about reintroduced species okay now there are these talks about you know lynx about wolves and of course you know whether it's been intentional or not that have been uh, several reintroductions beaver we know about that's something we're trying to get off the ground that's a good thing and i think that's a helpful thing as well but something that i don't think was a good idea really was wild boar you know i mean these creatures they're huge they can be aggressive although you know generally people don't run into problems with them but they can also tear up you know fields and forests and everything like that what is your opinion on rewilding reintroduction of species and what would you like to see brought in to the picture and what would you like to see taken away so so i, I love it i mean i would if i was in charge i'd be getting everything back and uh that's i mean yeah i would i would try and make it as north america as i could um and i think boar uh they're a good animal they're good they are good for the ecosystem they do a lot of good but isolated and again with no predators that they're, they're just going to run riot i think mm. most herbivores are like that you know it's uh left unchecked they're just going to destroy areas and obviously down in the forest of dean that's that you do see that with the boar and it's a shame but like they haven't got anything to sort of deter them they, well at the minute they've got people with guns but um mm. a natural deterrence in terms of wolves they haven't got them down there but it's it's one of those things where a boar rooting i know it doesn't look pretty on the eye but mm. it does a whole lot of good for uh the ground and other uh, uh, wildlife uh, and we see that from uh nep the rewilding estate down in sussex uh they, they don't have boar they have uh, tamworth pigs That's but they interesting. do they do the same sort of job they uh they rip up the ground and the new life forms from it and down there they've got these um through the research they've had over the 20 years of these Tamworth pigs sort of rooting the ground, they've they've shown that butterfly populations have increased. They've okay. got this uh, really rare butterfly down there. Um, there's quite a few of them now. And uh, different plant species that grow from uh, the, the pigs churning up. So th there is definitely something to say about boar. But again, I think any sort of uh, herbivore like that without a predator is, is it's a difficult situation. Um, okay. But yeah, for me, I mean, I, I would I would reintroduce stuff. But it, the problem with the UK is it as as much as there is like quite a lot of space, there there isn't at the same time. Um, I've spoken about this on my podcast before. On uh, it's called Animal Anomalies, um, where I you could be in the most remote part or feel like you're in the most re remote part of the UK. And I had this in the Cairngorms. I was um, I I'd driven down this like country lane for a couple of miles and then i'd started walking for a couple of miles with jacob uh is in heavy snow uh, so we're trekking through snow we're looking for capacali and then <laughs> out of nowhere this woman with two dogs just appears and i'm just thinking there is nowhere in the <laughs> uk where you can sort of be on your own it's it's really weird even on the top of cairngorm mountain it's just yeah you you can't be on your own. It's just, but this uh, is a popular hiking uh, locale. Yeah, as well. I mean, sure. even though it's you know it's 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 I know Scotland is sort of barren and un underpopulated in a way. It's overpopulated by people that just love the the, the environment, the habitat, and the the the, the walking. 
yeah you know and like the hiking and, and stuff like that and i've been to other places where there just is no one essentially you know and i find that, that uh, although galloway forest park is also very popular it's yeah. a much bigger area and i've been to many many areas there where there just really is no one at all anywhere yeah um and you're just thinking gosh you know if um if stuff goes south now suddenly i'm gonna you know i'm gonna have a little trouble raising help but um i mean look, i i think it, you make a good point you know that we are an outdoorsy sort of people not in the american sense but we like a good walk you like a bit of a hike don't we we like to get out there with the dog or whatever and and have a you know a, a solo walk around with our thoughts and I, I think that's a wonderful thing but yeah you're unlikely to be in many places you're not going to bump into somebody and that definitely must have an effect on a wildlife and i'm talking about that if we do rewild though if we do bring in wolves and lynx and bear and the rest of these things that we used to have here how is that going to change things for people in britain the people that like to go to these places you know clearly predators are predators and there's always the possibility that a child or you know some slightly overweight unfit man middle-aged man like myself is you know uh, is going to get picked off or what, what, what would you say to that uh i mean i think the public opinion of predators in this country is a bit it's it's not wow it's not good but like um and i don't think it should like it should be better and i think we've sort of like trained people into believing that mm. uh wolves are going to come and eat you and Mm. links are going to come and destroy you but like i think if we, there's probably links in this country now that people have secretly released yeah and, I think so and no one would know they're there it's uh yeah. it's one of those things but like I, I mean i get the wolf thing but i mean you're just not going to see them like you might hear them off in the distance and if you ever do encounter one they're not going to look at you and think oh here's dinner mm. it's um wolves are scared of humans but it's uh trying to change the public opinion on that is a different question i think uh, it's hard because like you just mentioned there, people want to go outside and mm. enjoy time with their kids and their dogs and they don't want to feel like something's stalking them or like a bear comes out from nowhere and it mauls mm. them and stuff like that. So I, I get it um, because while a wolf might not attack you as a person, it might attack your dog. And it's Yeah, or, or I mean, dogs can be a prey animal, sure. Just as we see with some of these big cat encounters that people talk about, I know of two personal ones that have been uh, passed on to me by friends uh, that I, I knew very well who said in two separate incidents that they believed the animal was stalking their their dog yeah yeah i can mm. believe that it's um it's for sure i mean i've seen i've seen uh, it was in america i've seen video footage of uh this family it was uh uh mum and dad and two very young kids so we're talking like three four years old maybe and they're walk like they're walking like hand in hand, and then this like mountain lion obviously sees the kids and it's stalking the kids. Um, and these parents they don't have anything to defend themselves, and I think that's mm. a problem. I'm mm. not saying yes, let's get all the guns back to the UK, but um, maybe something to deter, yeah, uh, mountain lions or well, in this country it'd be lynx or wolves. And in in yeah. that sense, it could just be something something that makes a loud noise or like a sort of like a pepper spray sort of thing you know it's uh no absolutely well look, i i you know i spent a long time in spain and in many of the areas i i was in um they, they had wolves they had bears and um whenever we were out walking there wasn't a single one of us that thought oh dear you know there's wolves and bears here in fact i don't remember ever seeing one not once mm. and um and yeah this is you know even uh in in places where they're, they're supposed to be quite frequent so I suppose 
the point is that most animals are you know, they're, they're primed to look for certain types of prey and for the most part we're not that prey you know we're not what they want oh yeah for sure yeah. they'll 100% be scared of us uh well more scared of us than we are of them and i know like that's what people's mums would say about spiders but i think yeah. in, in that case it's definitely true you know it's uh yes. they don't want they don't want to like, especially a lynx you are just you are never ever going to see a lynx yes. um you'd have to be extremely lucky to sort of stumble upon a lynx uh anywhere uh especially in this country but i do i do think possibly that lynx could be here at the minute i'm not saying i'm not going to go out on a limb and say there are some here but um i know through uh beavers for example that i know it's a different sort of like uh animal they're not exactly a threat to anything mm -hmm. but the beavers that were spotted in devon obviously it's obviously a um like a, a a release of these beavers someone's someone's decided i'm going to take rewilding it into mm. my own hands and just put out a couple of beavers and then that sparked the trial and i think i honestly think that's going to happen again but it will happen with lynx yeah okay i think you, you'll probably see one in galloway forest or the cairngorms um at some point or another and then someone will put forward a plan and be like oh hang on shall we uh shall we see what it does first and then i think i think you'll see them back that makes sense really somebody's essentially going to say as they did with the beavers look well actually it's already working so what are we waiting for yeah exactly yeah that, that makes perfect sense to me i'm not against that particularly um you know i i do have some concerns about bears i think i'm not sure if if we need bears back wolves i kind of on the fence about uh that's a very specific you know kind of uh hunting animal and an intelligent one too i would say more intelligent than a bear in many ways for my mind anyway at least directed to the kind of prey that it's looking for so i might feel less less at risk but still you know who knows what's going to happen in the future and uh, whatever is happening naturally to the country at the moment is creating all of these strange in my view sort of uh welcome situations perhaps the signal crayfish is that's that's a bad example but for most other bits and pieces of creatures that have come from other countries that we we have here now like the um like the rosary parakeets and, and etc and the wallabies it just seems to be quite a nice addition like a bright colorful exotic addition to the the fauna that, that we already know here what about um trends let's talk about trends that have happened over many many years clearly there was a big cat trend in you know uh in the or oh, up until the 1970s when this dangerous wild animals act was was brought in about how they should be kept and the conditions or that the, the um, enclosures in which they should be kept in but there are other examples as well like the the terrapins for example the radiate terrapins which you know we we saw start to appear in our ponds after the late 1980s uh you know, teenage ninja turtles movie came out i remember that movie coming out in the 80s and i remember getting a terrapin right afterwards because of it right it was sold everywhere yeah. and then this thing becoming like the size of a dinner plate basically and mine died but a lot of other friends i knew had them suddenly when they were huge they just kind of disappeared and there was a local lake in cardiff called roth park lake and there's tons of them there now they, they just live there i don't know if they're breeding or if they just you know live a long time but they're they're still they're still there to this very day um what other things have you heard about like the therapy that have come 
and gone over the years because of some sort of trend that's taken place? Um, I don't. I'm not too sure about trends, but I know tanukis, uh, raccoon mm. dogs. They've mm. they've sort of been a thing, um, and kawatis as well. They've sort yeah. of been a thing at one point or another. There was supposedly ten of those in the Lake District, but um, yeah, tanukis is a weird one. I had I had um, I was doing some work with uh, with a wildlife trust. I won't say where it is, but I was doing some work with a wildlife trust, and they were they were contacting me about a couple of tanukis that had been sighted mm. on camera traps in this area. And I thought that was quite interesting, but I've also been told a story from a fella about uh, someone dumping at least 40 of them in, uh, I think he said Derbyshire or something like that. And I was 40. like, that's, wow. that's really close to me, but I mean, I haven't seen anything like that was the story I was told, whether it's true or not is a different question, but um, I, I have no reason to like, but like disbelieve this person, but um yeah i mean as far as evidence is concerned i haven't seen anything but i suppose a tanuki can uh can almost look like a just like a, a dark fox i guess like a mm. really fluffy dark fox but yeah there was definitely that one um where, with this wildlife trust that got in contact and was trying to uh see if i could go and have a look and yeah i, I think another one you're talking about yeah but it the was, trust uh, i mean yeah yeah it, i mean it was um yeah interesting to say this but i don't think that was from a trend i mean i can't really think of uh the the, the trendy sort of stuff because like, as you mentioned the the turtles was from obviously um teenage ninja yeah turtles, well there was a kind of repeat of it in 2014 where again um yeah the, the terrapins of and um box turtles i guess and uh alligator snapping turtles even were yeah. being bored i mean that's such a strange pet to buy an alligator step into this is going to become huge yeah kind of vicious after a while yeah that's a, that's a turtle you don't want to get the wrong side of yeah it's just like well you know there was a movie about crocodiles so it just went out and got like a, a caiman or another crocodile so talking about that actually i don't know if you ever heard of the bristol crocodile and, uh, and the yeah. can of crocodile and those other bits and pieces now they did find um i think in a reservoir in was it in uh Somewhere in Avon in Somerset, there was a reservoir there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there, mm. there was one there. Yeah, and there was um, a caiman there, but it was very young. It yeah. looked like it really just been released. I yeah. think. Yeah, there um, was also one on the canal somewhere as well. It's quite interesting. There? Yeah, but the no, the Bristol thing is not. That's not a thing. But um, there are some interesting wall lizards mm. around the suspension bridge there, which is quite cool. But no, nah, there's no there's no crocodiles or anything down in uh, Bristol, but it's quite a funny story. What do you think that was based upon? I mean, clearly, it, you know, after the the bus driver claims to see something in 2014, <laughs> and there's a cyclist, and um, I think there was even an MP that mentioned that uh, a councillor, Tom Adichie, that was his name. Here it is. He had a video as well. And, mm, uh, well, the video wasn't very convincing to me either. But... <laughs> I, it logs. I think. I think what mm. people are seeing are logs, and I, yeah. I, it, it sounds. It sounds almost too stupid to be correct, but I think people can, they can sort of like tell, like they can make themselves believe what they're seeing, I suppose. And um, I do think it is logs. And I know that's, it's, it's a really rubbish sort of reason or excuse, but mm. it, it does happen. I mean, um, 
there was well, just how a, could they survive i don't get it even oh, they, if, yeah. they can't they they can't mm. breed anyway i mean they might su- survive a little bit through the summer but they they yeah. can't breed and like survive the winter now i know because i always get people say this but there are alligators that can like survive in like freezing conditions for a oh, bit. And they go to torpor right yeah yeah but it, it just won't happen here they, they they can't like sort of carry on they can't kick on and survive through it it's yeah. just it's just not a thing you will see but yeah no these um these logodiles uh logodiles i guess it's, it's yeah keep that i'm gonna use that <laughs> it's, it's it's funny for example uh it's, it is funny but um there was there was one recently apparently like a couple of crocodiles off the coast i can't remember which coast it was but someone had taken a video and it's oh just, it's clearly rocks it. yeah. it's rocks and i'm like how do you rocks. what is this it's, it's <laughs> mental but uh, i was asked to review that one and i you know yes even as a hopeful hopeful skeptic no that's just rocks you can see oh. that the water they're just not moving that's water passing them yeah i mean yeah i i think naturally i'm skeptical of most things but i'm happy to sort of like you know bend 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 the lines in certain mm. regards and try and see what someone's seeing but i got that and i thought this has got to be a joke hasn't it like this is this yeah is a wind up like yeah. it's mental but no because um is, yeah. Oh, the I, criteria for something appearing in the papers now is it's it's it does it look sensational? Is it short enough to be ambiguous? Yeah, yeah. stick it in. Oh, we had <laughs> um in Coventry, we had uh, what was it called? We had a pterodactyl. Um, so this this is I've this had is a few of those reports. Yeah, it's yeah. stupid. It's um so the the picture. I mean, uh, the picture. It it does look. Oh, there's a picture. <laughs> yeah, there is a picture. I mean, it does look like. I mean, if if you if you were to like blur the oh, whole thing out, it does. I, look I've like seen this one. It's uh, it's isn't it a pelican or something? No, it's uh, actually a, it's an a, angle. It's a red kite from the back. Yes. obviously, red kites have got that sort of like rudder tail. Oh, they? the so tail is turning to the side. To, yeah. it's uh, vertical. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so yeah. someone's like snapped that photo and yeah, and yeah. they've called it a pterodactyl. For some reason, the paper's gone with it, and it's just yes. stupid. But, um. Yeah, so that sort of stuff. It happens quite a lot, but I don't know why people just lap it up. I find it really weird. Well, it's the same thing that you spoke about earlier, I think, when uh, people are looking for... I, I realised when I was writing my books, and I, I kind of... I refer to it sort of uh, affectionately these days as modern folklore, you know, because you get in modern-day reports. It's folklore happening, but in real time, you know, yeah. because the the way the reports are coming in. And you have to deal with it that way, because these are extraordinary, extraordinary claims. More extraordinary than there's a crocodile or a great white shark or a big cat in the country. There's things we don't know about people claiming to see. And it's, I find it fascinating. But anyway, you know, people are, they're, they're, um, endlessly interested in that, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, Lost World. Is there something else out there we don't know about that makes the world mysterious and exciting still? And if there is, let, let me know. I want to find out about that. That's why paranormal is so so popular with UFOs and ghost hunting. That's why you can have like 10 seasons of people in the dark with night vision in the basement saying they feel cold and everybody's <laughs> still watching it, right? And yeah. not bored in any way whatsoever, even though they're not showing you anything. And it's because it's like, yeah, but there must be something and you're kind of hooked in. And that's that's my, my, that's my opinion anyway. I think that's the reason that people are, are still sticking with it. Well, I mean, like with that sort of stuff, uh, I suppose along the same line, I think of the WWE. So when mm. I was a kid, WWE was like 
it was mm. full on fighting and like yeah. doing magical stunts and stuff. And it was like, it was like theatrical fighting, but it, it felt real as a kid. And I suppose that paranormal stuff you, you mentioned, like, you know, like, uh, like go to haunted houses and stuff, moves and stuff like that. Like as a kid, I lapped it up and I was like, Oh my God, like scary. This is wicked. Um, but for both things, as I've got older, I realized that WWE is, is, as it says, it's entertainment. It is yes. like a, a scripted yeah. show. Yeah. And then, the paranormal stuff is exactly the same thing in in my head. It's just, well, it's a scripted show. Like, um, and it's, it's almost like, well, it's theater, isn't it? it I suppose that's what it is. It's just, a, it's another form of, uh, like a theater production that's sort of gone out and it, it wants to make you feel. Um, but as I've got older, I've obviously lost interest in both. And it's, uh, I think because there's, there's no real realness to it. So my, my, like if I was to, evolve from the wwe nowadays it's i watch i would watch ufc because it's real or oh yeah you, you've gone on to mma now <laughs> yeah so like <laughs> exactly. it's, because it's real you know and it's like yeah. i suppose with the paranormal yeah. stuff it's well, it's wildlife i want to see rare yeah. wildlife because it's real and that's 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 been my yeah. evolution i i think yeah uh, I think it's like you're looking at blurry bigfoot photos wwe but now you're looking at bigfoot smash somebody's face in and <laughs> <laughs> you know it's 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 definitely and I mean, i'm kidding but you know it's definitely more no i can no, i can really appreciate that actually and you know one of the things about that um and i i, I get back to asking you questions a bit more about that but it's intriguing this subject to me since i've been into it cryptozoologies the psychological aspect of it's been fascinating to me because i'm very interested in that side of things anyway and um, and how philosophical or religious perspective really defines your view of of uh, phenomena and, and circum you know things that happen to you encounters and things that happen to you in your life and in nearly every single incident of um, a paranormal uh, encounter or a cryptozoological cryptozoological encounter that I've I've uh, taken from somebody I've dug it a little deeper and see that they have. Um, a philosophical or religious uh, outlook or perspective belief that really defines or at least um, accepts some possibility that such things could exist mm. and, and especially why they exist and what they could be. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it really, then it really changes with each, with each teller of the tale, I guess, because that, that perspective really dominates it. And yeah, you even go back then to folklore and history and you find it everywhere. You know, it's um, um, even in colonial places like United States have similar folklore to like Western Europeans or Spain and all of the, the Americas, the South America, so Central South America, similar folklore, like the Duende, like little dwarf like creature they have, same places. Mm, yeah. Anyway, I've, I've switched the interview. I'm supposed to be speaking to you. I'm going to go back talking about stuff like that, things that shouldn't be actually, things that shouldn't be great white. Okay, there's great white sightings. Cornwall, you've been to Cornwall recently. I've been there. There are certain fishermen in that locale and people and locals who are convinced that they're seeing great white sharks in in British waters. And I suppose the question is, you know, the seals are there. The temperature is not so bad, you know, between sort of May and October anyway. If they're not here in, in British waters, why why not, actually? It's a good question. I mean... The closest one's been spotted is the Bay of Biscay, and it's uh, mm. it's what 150, 160 miles away. So it's yeah. I mean, it's as good as uh. <laughs> so like yeah, I think it's practically uh, yeah. Yeah, I think from one time or another, there there probably has been great white sharks knocking about the UK waters. Whether 
whether they're a regular occurrence or not is a, is a different question. But um, I, I believe they're here. And I, I, I find it strange that, that there haven't been sort of, there's no confirmation of it. Um, and I'd love, I'd love like O-Search to come over and sort of do a big search. And uh, I actually got asked to do a, um, a search for them from a tv crew but that never yeah never materialized and it's it's a shame because i would have loved to have done it Mm. but um it's it's i don't know i just think they've got to be here right yeah at least sometimes yeah i mean you look at a great white sharks range and it fits everything like all the boxes are ticked but Mm. there's never there's never been one officially here and yeah i don't know there's been there's been some sort of i suppose this year there's been the small tooth sand tiger sharks like a yes. few of them have washed up and i find that really interesting I find it's strange that... to find those here yeah absolutely yeah for sure and i i suppose um i suppose like you look at that and it's like well they there there is some sort of evidence you know that great white sharks could be here if they're being washed up then what's stopping the great white sharks you know and yeah. um i think it's only a matter of time until we do actually get one of them that sort of uh comes into uh our waters i mean if you look on the like in the southern hemisphere they're around new zealand and new zealand's climate is very very similar to Mm. uh, the uk like temperatures and everything it's all very similar like like the southern point of new zealand great white sharks have been spotted there and it's uh quite often as well and you're talking that's like the closest point to antarctica and it's like <laughs> that water is not exactly warm you know what about south african waters they're well, not exactly. very warm it's either cold. Yeah, yeah it's cold so yeah i mean um and that that's that's really what fascinated me and i thought well yeah they're in the med yeah you know? and uh, naturally you know you go you go to spain portugal italy all those places you're swimming in the ocean right you're having a little dip there's not one single point you're thinking to yourself oh I better not get in here. They're great white sharks are bad because they just yeah. don't really come in. You know, they're not yeah. interested. And I thought maybe that's the problem here in the UK as well. They're just not coming in to shore really because what they want is either around the, the the area where there's a lot of seals or it's a little bit further out from us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, another thing to factor in is the Gulf Stream as well. We, we get a lot of um, turtles that sort of come over to the to the UK through the Gulf Stream, but for some reason we don't get the the sharks following the same pattern so i don't know i, I feel like if there if there was a shark to come it would probably be one from that sort of the american side rather than the mediterranean but um yeah. i mean i i don't know i don't know why they're not here it's uh or why they've not been spotted i, I yeah. believe they're here yeah. but for some reason they've just uh they, they seem to avoid any sort of detection but um i i do believe in the 90s and the early 2000s those people that think they've seen them i do believe they think they've seen yeah, them and yeah. i do believe I mean, yeah these people are seasoned fishermen people i yeah. talk to and there's there's no way they could make such a mistake really you wouldn't have thought so but i mean i suppose people can make mistakes it's um i, I speak often of this <laughs> my uncle who's um he's not he's not exactly a wildlife person so it's it's not really the same bracket but he was um he was out in new zealand looking for well he was on this tour and he said this uh, like bird had come into the road and everyone got excited because uh, and these were his words everyone got excited because it was a kakapo and i was like mm, probably wasn't uh, and he didn't like that because yeah. he was like no he was dead certain this was a kakapo he's got a photo of it and it was just it, a parrot huh 
so well for people that don't know kakapo they're, they're not mm. on the mainland of new zealand they're they're restricted to islands and is, only very yeah, recently yeah. they've like been put into a sanctuary on the north island so he was telling me south island this is like it was a kakapo i've seen it i've photographed it i'll show you i'll prove it to you and he was he was adamant he gets to the photo and he shows it me and it's 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 a kia and i was like uh. <laughs> but, but people can't they, they can't you know they can believe what they're seeing and they can believe yeah of course um, and it's the wrong thing you know and it's uh because i even showed him a photo of a kakapo and he was like yeah that's it i was like yeah. and then he obviously got to his photo and it, it wasn't um but it's it happens you know and i think even seasoned people can potentially get stuff wrong and i think yeah i've had it with um jacob i'm gonna really like drag him through the dirt but uh, yeah let's throw him under the bus now yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> J- jacob's eye um so when we go together to try and find something jacob's eye is fantastic like i'm not going to take anything away from him he, his ability to spot stuff is unbelievable but we even he can get stuff wrong confidently and it's like i would get stuff wrong confidently a lot but i, I won't sort of like I, and i'm happy to correct myself if i am wrong right so jacob we, we were looking at these um we were sat in a van. It's a very windy day on the Isle of Mull, and there were these birds sort of gliding around above the road, and doing sort of like what you would see—I don't know—like kestrels doing. They were just sort of gliding around in the in the wind, and I, I sort of looked at them. I was like, I couldn't really work them out because I had like dodgy glasses on at the time. And he's—I said, "What are they, mate?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, but uh, he said uh, crows." There was like, "Yeah, definitely crows." I was like, "Oh okay." So I, <laughs> I looked through my camera, I took a photo, and I zoomed in, and it was uh, it was a buzzard. So I was like, are you, are you sure they're crows, mate? He's like, yeah, definite crows. No worries. <laughs> so and I showed him the picture and I was like, mate, it's a buzzard. And uh, he was like, what? And he couldn't believe it. It was basically because this buzzard was doing a different sort of, it was doing different sort of uh, things than to what he was used to. So yeah. like buzzards where we are, they circle around the skies and that's it. That's all they do, right? Um, or they perch up on lampposts or something. Whereas this buzzard was gliding in the air current um, and it was like almost like it was hovering essentially but without flapping its wings it would just manage to like hover above the road um not very high off the road and it, it, it looked a bit weird but jacob again is, has got one of the best eyes going like he he will spot mental things from miles away and uh even he can get stuff like that wrong confidently so it wouldn't surprise me i know it's a very long-winded way of saying it but it wouldn't su- surprise me if people who are seasoned do get stuff wrong from time to time yeah, and I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, of course. I mean, as an investigator as well, there always has to be room for for error of judgment, doesn't there? I mean, yeah. uh, if you know that you are seasoned and you can make an error of judgment, you know other people can as well. And I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. Now that actually brings me neatly onto the last subject, which is British big cats. Big cats <laughs> in Britain are yeah. they here? If they here, why are they here? And um, and you know. What can we do about it? Or does anything need even need to happen or, or be done about it? Right. Um, I mean, I'm going to flat out say no, uh, they're not here. And I know it's going to, it'll really annoy people, but. That's all right. You've got to do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I just, they're just not here. You know, it's like, you know, we were talking, we had that chat earlier about predators in the, in the country. Mm. Uh, one thing we didn't really mention is you know when predators are around because of how other things react. Yeah. And um, for example, I was in Scotland trying to film Pine Martin, and there were red squirrels where I was. They were all having a great time. There's loads of birds like chirping and stuff. 
And then the things ran away. The birds went quiet. A sparrowhawk had flown in. And it's like the predator had made itself known. Mm. Um, and stuff like that happens quite a lot. And you you would know if a, a flipping leopard <laughs> was a... Was a bad place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like there's there's never been any sort of concrete evidence. And I don't believe the evidence that's been put forward uh, sort of this year in terms of, you know, that DNA evidence. I don't believe it. And I don't believe the photo that sort of was around the same time as well. I mean, the photo was debunked. So... I think they debunked that photo in the documentary anyway, don't they? I think I that whole paper. It. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, because no, um, uh, well, and I've, I've seen the documentary. I've seen it before the um the photo came out, and I think the way the papers framed it was like we've got definite evidence here. Whereas I'm sure they released DNA and also the photos with like in the pack, you know, with the documentary. Yeah, and everybody just grabbed the photo and ran with it basically. Yeah. and I'm sure in the documentary they say, look, you know, this is of no unknown providence, definitely a leopard from a collection claimed to be a photo, but you know, who knows where it could have come from. Um, so I remember seeing that go. I have having released a few things to the papers myself over the years, and, and then looked in the headlines the next day to see something completely unlike yeah, what yeah, I'd yeah. given them. <laughs> it, do, it does happen. <clears throat> I, yeah, it does yeah. happen. But yeah. no, I, so I, I give seeing... a pass on that one. I thought, well, actually, you know what? I, I, I know you've already de- 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 debunked it yourself, um, but that that DNA evidence that was very interesting. You know, really, because yeah. it, if it's verified, you know, it's taken from the specimen i know the person who collected it and i trust i trust their veracity anyway and i thought well do, do that you know only leaves people... me one option really you know either an animal has escaped or the evidence has been placed there and i i don't believe that individual would do that mm, i don't know so like um do, do you know the people who actually did the the testing on it no i, I don't know the people who did the testing no I don't, I don't. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, the um, testing was done at Warwick University, and then nothing came of it. And then I don't know if the information was released for the second one. As far as I'm aware, um, whoever did the second test or whatever, or this test, that that they were never sort of they were never known about. Which I find no. I find fishy. Like, I, if yeah, if, someone, if like a lab was happy to do a test, they would be happy to provide a results. That's that's like, that's what I would believe in anyway. But oh, I don't uh, know anything about that. No, I don't know any further. Um, I mean, I suppose I'm quite I'm quite um, uh, compromised. I know the the individuals involved. <laughs> yeah, no, them, that's fair enough. I, I know mean... them well enough to to, yeah. to to know their honesty. But still, you know, these are important questions, though, Cookie. I think because. This is what investigators do. They say, okay, let's look at this. Where was it done? What are the details? What's missing from this profile here? And okay, that bothers me because that's something I'd like to know about to um, to validate what you're putting forward as evidence. And I think that's completely fair. That's fair enough. And uh, that's something I'm definitely going to have to take up with them after this conversation. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think that's normal. Um, I mean, I spoke to Bill Lawrence, who's a distinguished professor in uh eastern australia he's at the james cook university and he was part part of a um a quest to find the tasmanian tiger oh, in, yeah. okay. in cape york and um sort of the the far eastern far northeastern of uh, queensland 
and they they went out with the with the intentions to try and find some sort of evidence but i think it was mainly aimed at just getting knowledge on rainforests which is fair enough like under the guise of that makes um, sense yeah yeah but he came back and said no nah, didn't get anything he said there were there were some things that maybe you could like cast a long bow at but ultimately there was nothing there and i i and like he's the sort of guy that will you know he'll, he'll take the evidence as it is like um it, it, you have to review it and i think fairly and there's also another one with the i know we're coming off the big cat topic here but no, um, that's fine. Th- there was another one with the thylacine um the tasmanian tiger in in tasmania and this is i think it's from the 90s or the early 2000s when this sort of came about but there was there was there was one guy on it who i i, I respected for what he was saying because he was looking at these tracks uh in plaster that he was sort of given and he said he's like look i've been through all of the tracks that I know of, I've been through every single thing. And he's like, I'm really annoyed because I can't, I can't like, I can't pinpoint what it is except for a Tasmanian tiger. And I was like, ah, do you know what? Like, I like that. He's like, I re- look, I really want it to be a kangaroo. I really want yeah. it to be a wallaby, yeah. but it's not. It, it, the only logical explanation is this thing, this plaster cast he's got is a Tasmanian tiger. And he found that really exciting. And I respected him more for saying that. He was like, look, I've tried every solution. <laughs> I haven't got it. This is the only outcome. And I was like, I'd much what, rather, yeah. you know. Like, and you I, have to I go agree with that. that. I, I find anyway, you have to go through all of that to sort of like, um, to come to that conclusion. And I think that's, that's the, that's the best, most scientific way of doing it. As far as I'm concerned, anyway, like. You uh, have to be your own worst critic because whatever yeah. criticism you don't aim at yourself, I mean, you know, whatever uh, scrutiny you fail to apply to yourself, others will apply to you when you put it into the public yeah. sphere. And, you know, you've got to be aware of that. And I, I, this has been a learning curve for me over since I sort of, I guess, went public with my interest in it about six, seven years ago. You know, that was a big learning curve for me because I was such a, uh, a big fan you know, of the genre and the the myths and the folklore surrounding it and the um, the foundational um, belief system that I'd grown up around it, which was mostly based around the opinions of, you know, the godfathers of the genre, you know, and um, you find that in Bigfoot a lot, in Nessie lore a lot, and, and other things as well, such as Big Cats, where essentially there's only a few people in the field. They provided all of the... Um, the evidence, not only the evidence, but the theories surrounding these phenomena. And then people who come later almost build upon those theories, like they're, they're foundational evidence. And so they're like holy writ in a way, and they move on from then. You can't question it. It's a very strange thing uh, yeah. when you come to it, because then, of course, you're already on shaky ground. You're not even on solid ground anymore oh, for, for where sure. you're starting with this thing. And it's something I think... <clears throat> paranormalists but cryptozoologists and especially uh, often fail to realize that you know that the people in the life sciences they're subject to all these rules that you are not applying to your yeah. own discipline yeah. you know because you're a believer and actually if you're a believer already you're not you're already doing a disservice to what you're you're looking for because to believe anything is a faith right so um you know that's a faithful position instead yeah, of yeah, a, uh, a scientific one yeah yeah, you don't it was know a big it, change in me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. A big change in me. That really helped me. So now I really love the genre and I'm a hopeful skeptic, but you know, I, I would like to see some proof. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm the yeah. same. Like I think 
Um, there are two parts of me when it comes to the Tasmanian tiger. It's uh, my head tells me they're not alive. They're not here anymore. Mm. They're extinct. My heart won't let me uh, dictate that. You know, it's my heart yeah. is like, no, no, they are here. They are out there, but yeah. I'm still waiting to see some solid evidence. You know, it's yeah. uh, like, I-, I would love it more than anything. A Tasmanian tiger is found tomorrow. Um, but my, I- I'm just, I- I'm pretty sure they're not here anymore, but no, I'm you know, with you. Um, but and it's the same with the big cats and as you mentioned there actually which is uh, a good way of putting it is um the people who lead these things in with, with the big cats of uk you can't talk to them <laughs> you can't you can't talk to these people oh it's every um, genre is the same it's fierce if you step <clears throat> misstep in that arena i've I mean, been on the i've been on the, the receiving end of uh, of many um you know social media pylons and beat downs over the years for just being a bit sort of well hey you know what about this glaringly obvious <laughs> elephant in the room? Have well, you exactly. considered this? Yeah, I mean, when you talk to an actual scientist, they're not afraid to be like, well, I don't know, or this is the answer, or this isn't the answer. Like, They're, mm. they're not afraid to say those things, whereas you can't even talk to the the people in the UK big cat sort of uh, hierarchy. Um mm. I mean, I won't name names because I don't. I don't. No, don't do that. that no, that's I have sort to edit like, it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like, mean, I, I hate editing. Yeah. I've had my time slagging people off in the UK yeah. big cat community. But, no, yeah, um, it's a trap. I suppose pe- people will know who I'm talking about, but you you can't you can't be seen, or they 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 won't entertain uh, an interview, or they won't entertain hearing the opposite. That they, they will only hear big cats are in the UK. Yes. And that's it. They mm. won't hear the like, and if if you get them to try and explain evidence, they won't do it. Just nothing. You won't get another side to it. And it's it's a cult. I and I I don't I don't like anything that's like that. Um, I feel like with anything, you've got to look at it fifty fifty. You've got to, you've got to take your rose tinted glasses off and sort of um, put that to one side and you know look at things objectively. Like like again with with uh, the thylacine for me, it's uh. Mm. My heart has the rose tinted glasses and my head takes them off. It's uh it's one of those things, you know, I just gotta you've gotta do that. But I think that's Absolutely. the biggest problem with UK big cats. Like I would I would love it if they were here, right? I would love leopards to be knocking about the UK. I would love pumas to be knocking about the UK. Um, but they're just not. And it, like from time to time, one might get loose from a private collection, but it's just it's not I, I you hear ridiculous things about like there are hundreds and i'm like where 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 are you getting a hundred where are the hundreds i mean yeah. the amount of photographers in this country the amount of people walking their that, dogs i mean that always it's troubles me silly. yeah it's, it's the photography i tell you uh, just to push back very slightly one thing that i always do find very difficult um to i suppose just discount is the antagonistic witnesses you know the people with no skin in the game that are just confused by what they saw and one of these I, i've known a few personal ones over the years and my first my personal interest in it actually started in 1999 when we were staying in a place called krimach in west wales the Brazilian mountains um with i was with, with a girl there she's my ex-girlfriend now but the, the girl i was with at her parents house and um one of the mum's friends from london to come up she was a heavy smoker she'd gone out onto the the porch their, their closest neighbors like five miles away you know really rural and she literally lit up a cigarette and you know 10 feet or more away from her in the light of 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 her lighter she saw what she described as a black leopard just staring at her 
And then it turned and walked away, you know. And uh, then most recently, one of many, but my sister-in-law, again, local uh, South Wales girl, no clue about this at all. She's driving between a place called uh, Barry and Cardiff. And there's a, an area in the middle of Wenvo. It's quite rural. And the girl say they see a bear in the field. So she pulls over and she said, I don't know what I was looking at. And the way she said to me, uh, it was like a black lioness, really big, about waist height, walking around the field. And I, I thought, we, well, who would describe something as a black lioness? Clearly a black, you know, melanistic leopard that you're looking at there. Only a person that knows nothing about big cats would say black lioness, wouldn't they? Mm, yeah. Um, and yet she was just convinced that she'd seen something. She never, she didn't, doesn't really know what I do. Had never heard about this before. My brother said, you, yeah, you need to go and tell Andy. He'll know what to do about that. Of course, all I knew was to like berate her for not taking a picture or a clip or something. <laughs> you know, people have got their phones out 24 yeah. seven, haven't they? Um, but the camera is almost, you know, on that quick click, isn't it? Everybody can record a clip. And I'm sure if I'd fallen down some stairs or something, somebody would have caught that and it'd be all over the internet, right? You know, uh, with millions of clicks, and yet, you know, big cat, <laughs> big black lioness walks around the field for ten minutes, and you haven't got a single picture. Well, but I was, yeah. you know, she wouldn't make up anything like that to tell me. She's got no interest in this whatsoever. So, what did she see? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I, and that's always the interesting thing, right? Because um, uncle that saw the kakapo that wasn't a kakapo as a mm. kia, he's had his own sort of black cat sighting in this country. Yeah. Um, but again, I have to discredit it because of the kakapo kia scandal. And yeah. um, you know, like, yeah, he's, uh, he's lost his credibility. There. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he's but, like he's not he's not an idiot. You know, he's 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 quite a, he's a, he's an intelligent man. His his wildlife knowledge is shocking. And I had it recently with a friend of mine who also makes YouTube videos. He's uh, on cars or whatever. He um, and his girlfriend went out to, uh, they did like a little trip around uh, Europe. And they were in Switzerland uh, in the Alps driving around. And they saw this animal running across the, the hillsides and whatever. And they videoed it. <laughs> they videoed it. And in the video you can hear they're they're trying to guess what it is and they're like oh is it an otter like and this thing's running around and someone else says something equally as stupid and then <laughs> this thing stands up and it's a marmot and i'm like oh my god what are you what have you been saying like like otter i'm like are you <clears throat> but that, that's the thing though it's like you have to yeah. let stuff like that slide because these people haven't got a clue and that's that's the problem right is um they don't know anything about wildlife and for someone to look at a marmot and guess is it an otter and you know this thing's not it's not in water it's nowhere near water uh it's running up and down the hillsides of the alps like to to a wildlife person you would probably guess that you, yeah. you know one of those of hill otters right yeah <laughs> you, yeah <laughs> you, you would sort of guess like um or you would know sort of what was yeah. in the surroundings you would sort of have a reasonable say, hang idea. on a second yeah where am yeah. i and this you would, doesn't look right you would come to it People without wildlife knowledge haven't got that about them. They haven't got that ability to go yeah. and sort of look for a book and be like, what is it? Um, so they're just guessing with the most mental things. And, uh, you know, I think like your sister-in-law, was it? Um, yes. Yeah. I yeah. think it's it's probably a similar thing. They probably saw something, I don't know, like a, just like, a, let's just say a normal cat. I don't know. But they probably saw something like that and um, their, uh, their brain 
sort of decided to play tricks on them. You know, it's uh, which which I I think can happen, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think a non wildlife person saw something that um confused them for a second. Yeah, she was definitely confused. Like, no, I, I, well, I find it interesting, and I, yeah, it's a good point you make, and I, you know, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm not com- completely convinced they're not here. I think all arguments have to be brought to the table, as you mentioned before, and this is not only in big cats, but in Bigfoot and Nessie and anything else, you know, ghosts and UFOs, anything else you want to, you know, uh, that has a community or a group associated with it and essentially a belief structure you know a fan base yeah, yeah. um there is you know, you're 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 not on um you're on hallowed ground in a way the objectivity goes out the window because everybody in that group already has a vested interest in that thing being real so yeah. you know how are you going to critique the evidence that's that's coming through i was again uh, up at uh, loch ness recently doing a documentary talking to many many of the old timers there some people one of them in fact who'd lived and sailed a boat on loch ness a passenger boat too since he was well he was born there in the house right next to the loch and he's never once ever seen anything i was talking about the robert ryan's um photographic footage you know the the nessie flipper you're probably aware of the flipper photo from the past or the the head and neck that was taken you know with um uh, with a underwater photography at the time, it was really advanced then in the seventies to be able to do this. What, what, yet, what's this called? Sorry, what was it called? I just found it's the Robert Rhines flipper photo. Um, it's supposed to be a flipper of Nessie. And Robert Rhines, he was, the, you know, he was a scientific man, a man of letters. Um, the the Wyckoff, the guy I had with him, developed, you know, side scan sonar and everything. These people were, you know, they were clever guys. But he basically said, that guy's a charlatan to me. You know, he was always coming up with stuff. Never mind the letters, never mind the credentials. He was hungry for fame. And that's what he was doing here. Mm. And if you say that about Robert Ryan's in some of these Nessie circles, my goodness, can you believe it? You know, you would be out on your ear. <laughs> you'd never get back in. The pylon would begin. You, you'd be, you know, you'd be uh, an unbeliever, a, a huckster, somebody <laughs> just trying to destroy the genre. And yet, you as the man who actually put him up while he was at the lock, had him staying in his house, took him out on the boat, all these things saying, no, no, this guy's not genuine at all. I know mm. him. I knew him, in fact. He's dead yeah. now. And that to me was amazing because, you know, until public, so a public face is one thing, a, a legend that grows up around a subject is another. And then, as you know, when you're out on expeditions doing things, actually what took place while you're there is something completely separate. Sometimes only you and the people there know what it was that went on. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, stuff like that you talk about in like Tasmania. Uh, sorry, talk about the Tasmanian tiger again. So I know I've said the Tasmanian tiger a lot, but um, no, I asked quite a few people in Australia when I was there last year about the Tasmanian tiger and <laughs> uh, you get very mixed reception. Yeah. It's like if there's someone who knows someone or people who, well, I asked this one lady who I was with searching for the lie birds and she said, anyone who thinks they've seen the Tasmanian tiger is an idiot. And I, <laughs> but then you'll get, I spoke to another lady who thinks she saw one like uh, in the eighties or nineties yeah. on the mainland. And it's like, you know, there's a, there's a right mixed bag and you never know sort of like uh, who to, who to sort of like you know believe in that situation, but um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, isn't it for sure? It is interesting. My personal belief about that is that it was probably something because they were tales of some menageries on the mainland, 
yeah. that where there could have been uh, individuals after, you know, uh, Benjamin Hobart who uh, passed away all those years ago, is that perhaps it was a species that was sort of lingering on functionally extinct, you know, for several years uh, past its its uh, alleged extinction date and now is gone by the looks of it. Yeah, I mean, um, talking to Forrest Galante, he talks quite uh, promisingly, I suppose, about Papua New Guinea or New Guinea, um, which is quite interesting. But I, I'm not sure too much how uh, like how much I, I, I want to delve into that in terms of like. Yeah. I just I don't know if is if it a get out of jail free card? You know, big overgrown like place it. that's really yeah. wild where anything could possibly exist. Ropens and pterodactyls and yeah. dinosaurs and the lot, right? Yeah, for sure. That yeah, you've explained it way better than what I was just about to. So like, um, it's the get out of jail free card, and I I, I get it, but I I don't know. I just don't see again evidence wise. I just don't see them not, uh, being a lot there. I like the story. I like the uh, yeah the fantasy behind it. Um, same with the the thylacine on mainland. I, I sort of like I like the idea that Tasmanian tigers were shipped over from. Uh, Tasmania and like place on the mainland in hopes that they were going to get rescued and like the the, the population would uh, increase. Like I like those stories, um, and I would love for some of them to be true, but there's just yeah, there's no evidence to back them up, which is a shame, really, because I, I mean the idea of thylacine living on the mainland of Australia because someone tried to rescue them from Tasmania is quite well. It's a lovely story, and I I would love that to be true. There was actually something interesting recently about a spot tail quoll. Um, I don't yes. know if you saw it. Yes, it turned up. Yeah, in, in a place where it shouldn't have been or hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I found really quite interesting. It hasn't been in like 140, 50 years or something. In was it South Australia? And I then think one of them. Somewhere, yeah, I can't remember the location, but uh, some Port. some South Queensland or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure on the actual location, but I thought it was quite interesting um, in that sort of regard. But it, it also then made me think. Well that's been found after 140 50 years where it thought it shouldn't be the thylacine hasn't been there for a few thousand years <laughs> you know and it's like well yeah. it's probably not there then isn't it uh so you know it's one and of, of course what's missing from the thylacine picture on the mainland is the kind of activities thylacines were first uh first um killed for you yeah. know preying on poultry and farmyards and and pets and everything and making a nuisance of themselves and it's hard for me to believe that they'd be there without somebody seeing the evidence of their predations yeah again i would love it to be true but uh mm. it's just it's just not i know like my heart even talking about it now is just like no please it must be but it's, yeah uh, it's just not like and uh, uh maybe sad. yeah i mean maybe it's still there in tasmania you know like there's one or two knocking about mm. but um again chances are no well that's a pretty uh, dense place though tasmania plenty of places to hide out there why, without looking anywhere else actually for evidence yeah for sure i, I would love to go there uh, i mean i'm going to new zealand in like nine days well, 10 days time and oh, wow. um uh for for a long time and i would love to get over to tasmania to actually like do my own sort of mini expedition so um i'm i'm yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because hopefully in 2024 I can get myself over to Tasmania and that uh, sounds amazing. Yeah, do my own sort of search because yeah. um, I suppose something that is a cryptid at the minute, or well, it uh, well it's a real animal, but um, it's the moose in New Zealand. I don't I don't suppose you've heard of any of that. New Zealand moose? Yeah, I've um, never heard of that. Okay, so New Zealand 
back in the early yeah, I'm 20th frantically century. making notes now but <laughs> are you yeah, it's, it's a good one it's um but it's it's not like you know it's not paranormal or anything like that it's um so back in the early 20th century late 19th century they uh, new zealand decided it wanted to uh increase like sort of tourism or um it wanted like things to shoot it wanted people uh, they wanted people okay. to come over to okay. these like this beautiful land and it wanted animals to be shot at so they decided to bring over a load of deer and then one of the prized animals was going to be moose so they managed to do it in 1900 um they managed to bring over what, what six moose or four moose or something like that into uh, an area called hokitika gorge uh, they released wow. them there but none of them survived more than like three or four years uh, in 1910, they decided to go and do it again, but this time a bit further down the southwest coast um, into a place called Supper Cove, uh, which is in the uh, Dusky Sound. And mm. it's, it's it's like as remote as remote can get. So they released at this point, I think it was 10 animals, so 10 moose, and there was going to be like a an at-liberty phase, like you weren't allowed to shoot these moose for like 10 to 15 years or something like that. And um, these moose uh, sort of like went off into the land. But the problem is this land wasn't really built for moose. Uh, so they went off and they, they, they did survive. And one was photographed in, I believe, like 1923. So this is 13 years after they were released. Okay. Few were photographed and few were then shot when uh, licenses were allowed. Uh, and up until the point of like 90, mid-1950s, I don't know the exact year, uh, the last one was shot in a place I think called Herrick Creek, which is in wet jacket arm fantastic ah. name for a place uh in in the sort of the dusky sound um up until that point though 19 mid, mid 1950s there haven't been any like photographs or video to show that they're still there although there are there, there have been like cast antlers uh found in like the 70s and there's been uh okay hair, like fur found in the early 2000s and then i think in lockdown 2020 uh, a helicopter tour was going over and one of the co-pilots believed who was from Canada who be uh, believed he saw a moose. So, you know, like Whoa. stuff like that. It's quite interesting. I think you'd like that one. It's, uh, it's Absolutely. Good. Yeah. I mean, these things fascinate me like the hippos in Colombia. You know? Wicked. Love it. Yeah. I just love that. They all escaped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have that in Australia with the uh, ostrich yeah. as well. Like, I mean, they're farmed over in, australia but mm. there was um like a few farms failed in like what the 70s or something like that yeah and um the birdsville track still has ostrich today sort of wow. living wild and stuff and i actually did a, a segment for my podcast the other day about scimitar horned oryx um so that's a, a well according to the iucn is an extinct in the wild animal um it's a lovely looking animal and it's not technically extinct in the wild because it's been reintroduced back into its native range of Chad. Uh, but what, what I found interesting, there was someone sent me a photo who works out in the top end of Australia. He said, look what I'm looking at. And he, he sent me a photo of this <laughs> scimitar horned Oryx. And I was like, what flipping heck is that doing there? Um, and then he sent me another photo of a water buffalo. And I was like, what? Uh, you know, like, so Australia has got oh. a lot of stuff that shouldn't be there. And it's actually yeah, really quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Some of the stories are wicked, like the camels, for example, there are, well, there's so many, how many camels are there? Goodness. Maybe more than yeah. in the rest of the world. Yeah. I, so, do you know what? I think country-wise, yeah. I think they've got more than anyone else in the world. And it's, it's, it's mental to think it's about. It's weird but... when stuff like that happens. I read one time about something else about tigers, that there are more tigers held captive in the United States than there are 
in the wild and the rest of the world or something you know, like that. I, I think you can narrow that down to just Texas. I think I've heard the same really? thing. And I think it's just Texas. Yeah. Um, which is it mental. They just love keeping tigers or what the hell? Like 8,000 or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. It's, uh, wow. it's sort of ludicrous to think about. It's but, a strange um, sort of axolotl like situation, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry for the, the random. <laughs> Um, but look, I think, you know, it's been amazing. I probably should end. I'm going to talk to you until one in the morning otherwise. And I know I really could keep going because it's been fascinating. Um, just for everybody listening out there, um, where, where can they find you? You know, where can they find a podcast? Um, how do they support you? And, uh, especially if they've got any questions, uh, how should they get in touch and, you know, give you the, the give, give you telling off about the big cat thing or whatever else they want to say. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm wildlife with cookie, uh, yeah. on pretty much everything. And if you want to listen to the podcast, it's called animal anomalies and you can find that on the wild times, um, YouTube channel or on Spotify under animal anomalies. So yeah, uh, Amazing. wildlife with cookie or animal anomalies and you'll probably, probably find me cookie it's been awesome it's been amazing and I, I hope we do it again in the future and have a great time in new zealand thank you very much yeah thanks for having me on i've really uh, enjoyed it and i appreciate your time mate thank you very much and hopefully i'll go find a moose hey go find a moose and yeah you know we're friends now so i, I want pictures <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure thing no worries all right take it easy bye, -bye. cheers <laughs>